Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and welcome back to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my guest is Mark Canner of Western and Southern Financial Group Distributors. Mark is actually the president of that company, and we're going to be having an interesting conversation with him today about his background, about the concept of adaptation, and about some unique elements in his background that I believe you'll find to be of interest. Before we jump right in, I want to let you know that Mark's one of the unique people in the sales arena who has not only an undergraduate degree and a master's degree, but he actually has a doctorate in strategic leadership. And while he was getting this doctorate degree, he actually put together the foundation of a book that was published called Millennial Engagement in the Workplace. And we're going to get to talk to Mark about some of the key elements from that book. Uh, a few other interesting things about Mark before we jump in. He's uh, very involved in the community in Cincinnati, both as the chairman of the Salvation Army of Greater Cincinnati Advisory Board, as well as a member of the Urban Young Life of Greater Cincinnati. Mark and his uh, wife and two children are from uh, live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in his personal time, he enjoys spending time with his family. Uh, he plays a variety of sports, and he teaches financial management at his church. So with that, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. So Mark, let me jump right in with uh, the opening question here, which is I've just covered a lot of information. People sometimes wonder, what is it that the president of a company like yours does? When people ask you that question, so Mark, what do you do? How do you answer that question? That's a great question, Mark. Well, as president of our distribution, I set the strategic direction and direct the sales efforts of a terrific team of sales professionals that support financial advisors across the country. I'm responsible for leading multiple sales channels, which include banks, broker dealers, independent agents, independent marketing organizations, and institutional accounts. I also manage the teams who are responsible supporting life and annuity sales, which include relationship management, product development, marketing, and our sales desk. And in addition, a big part of my work is helping our team share the best strategies with financial advisors designed to help them help their clients to invest, protect, and manage risk for their retirement and legacy. So Mark, let me ask you, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot under that umbrella of things that you're doing, uh, and, and specifically with respect to the idea of the content we talked about from your book, Millennial Engagement in the Workplace, to what extent does your company and team leverage some of that content for benefit of some of the groups that you just described? Well, currently we have developed a program called Millennial Minutes, which is designed and has its own website off of our educational site. And it's designed to help one, understand who the generation is. Mm -hmm. Second, understand how to communicate with them. And then thirdly, understand the importance of technology to this generation. Well, those are all topics that I know are, are of interest to our listeners. So I'd like to start with this idea of a personal pivot point or a moment of learning that changed your approach to your role as president. Is the one that jumps to mind? 
Yeah, I, you know, I distinctly recall this occurring when I began to be responsible for others in the sales leadership role. It was actually similar to me when I began a family. You know, when my decisions started to materially affect others, I felt a great deal of heightened responsibility to put their interests first and espouse what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, describes as level five leadership. So my career, this is, occurred first when I was responsible for an internal sales desk, uh, followed by a sales leadership role I had at Nationwide. And then continued in my career here at Western and Southern, where I've been president of our intermediate distribution for about 15 years now. You know, my mentor taught me earlier in my career that to whom much is given, much is expected. I really took this counsel seriously and still do today. That's great to hear, Mark. You know, it, it makes me think about um, you can't give somebody that which you don't have. And so it leads me to the question, um, when you think about creating an environment for your team to flourish and to grow, how, how would you describe your best learning environment or experience? Where has it been that you sort of have come into your own the most in terms of either a place that you've gone to learn or an environment you've created? Well, first thing I'll say, Mark, is although I have observed tremendous value that we could take forward from lessons over from this virtual environment during the pandemic, uh, I do, though, miss the more palpable energy, personal connections, and real value that comes from in-person environment, which I look forward to getting back to here very soon. I observed the same dynamic though at my church where I, you know, I learned by watching a sermon online, but the energy I feel from others is really missing when you do things all virtual within the congregation. And particularly for me, it was you know, part of the worship service that uh, it just didn't give me the same sense of energy. And uh, unfortunately it also created a great deal of distractions when you do things virtually. So for me, it's, it's like night and day. Now, having said that, I'd be quick to point out that learning can occur in any environment. I'm a firm believer that we should never lose our appetite to learn, particularly in the financial services industry, which is constantly changing and evolving. Learning is, to me, essential to remain relevant to our customers. So I, for one, follow the George Washington illustrious example of listen, learn, and then lead. Listen to others, listen closely so that I can learn from them, and in turn, then help them. Build the trust necessary to get buy-in so that they can feel involved and invested in, and then lead. I believe the most critical aspect of learning is listening. Another lesson that my mentor taught me is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and even slower to anger. This counsel has served me very well over my career. Mark, I'm curious. Uh, I've had a number of guests, and we've talked about this idea of listening. And uh, you know, it turns out that listening is enormously hard work to really listen to understand. And so I'm curious, in your case, uh, what is it that your mentor taught you or what was the process that you use to become a good listener? I recall distinctly, it was early in my wholesaling career. It was the, at a time when I was carrying a bag as an individual wholesaler. And I came across a study that uh, had been done by Harvard uh, Research. And it, was, it had pointed out uh, that there are three aspects that have to be evident in order for someone to want to do business with you. And, uh, and those three, uh, First one was, was the, the aspect of, of feeling trusted. Um, second one was you have to be competent at what you do, obviously. And then the third one was likability. And so the first two to me are pretty apparent, but the third one, likability, is a bit more nebulous. So mm. fortunately, this research by Harvard uh, went on to explore this aspect systematically and determine that the one quality that makes a person more likable is effective listening. 
They went on to share an example that helped me truly understand the skill. Uh, the example they emphasized that was that the average salesperson talks 45 out of every 60 seconds. So about 75% of the time. Whereas the most successful salespeople, those who identified them, uh, they identified as being in the top decile of earnings in their respective industry, only talked 15 out of every 60 seconds or 25% of the time. So incidentally, the average earnings of that top decile salesperson was more than five times that of the average salesperson. Needless to say, that stack really caught my attention. So <laughs> That's I, I like... it is, it's going to help me in my career, the more important and the more effective I become at listening. Wow, what a great reframe, Mark, to think about the question, you know, to the extent you can literally be quiet and absorb what the other person is saying versus what has happened, I know for myself and for so many others, you're so excited about what's, what's happening or what you want to talk about that it's easy to be thinking about what you want to say next rather than hearing exactly what's being said. So Mark, building on your learning environment, how have you helped your team to adapt to the new environment that we're in and as we move forward in this hybrid work model? Well, as I mentioned during your initial question, I am very blessed to be with a highly capable team of uh, self-driven individuals who care deeply about what they do. A challenge over the past year do not change who they are or their character that makes them so successful. They have the drive it takes to, and the initiative to seize the opportunities. So my job as their leader is to harness that energy, align it to the, in the right direction and remove the obstacles where I can and let them run. It's also important for us to remember that despite our best laid plans, surprises are gonna come along at some point in all of us. And when those surprises hit, all we can do is fall back on what we have learned and the habits we have developed. In this past year, the pandemic has changed the primary method we interact with our customers, the financial advisors and the firms. It's initially called for a quick adaptation for us to fully integrate our technology to write business entirely electronically. And fortunately, we were able to rapidly accommodate this need in short order. But this was then followed very quickly by this new virtual environment that was more of an, uh, an exception before than, it, than, than COVID hit. And now it's the norm. So to help support this effort, we have enhanced cameras for the, for the wholesalers and their, and their uh, technology, enhanced their microphones, their lighting, and even added green screens to enable their wholesale, our wholesalers to adapt to this new environment more effectively and professionally. And although this process, we've, we've also shared best practices, strategies, and techniques to help them thrive in this new, new normal. And you know, when you describe the shift to using electronic means to, uh, to DocuSign, so to speak, um, I, I realize that for a lot of companies, these were, these were the kinds of things that were sort of on the to-do list, but nobody quite got to it. And then all of a sudden in the pandemic, people had to move quickly. So my question is, can you describe an aha moment during this period of time? You know, something in, in retrospect that gave you a new perspective, whether it's on something related to a business process like that or something else. Absolutely. Well, the listening aspect I mentioned earlier was certainly one of these moments. Uh, the second one though, is when I learned how much more impactful the visual and verbal aspects of communications are versus the words we use. I believe it was uh, Professor Albert Rabian in his research back in the 70s that initially brought this to light, that right. the words we use only have a 7% impact on communication where the verbals we use, you know, such as our voice tone, pauses, modulations, and the visuals, our body language. 
body movement, facial expressions, impact the other 93% of communication. In other words, the actual words in our communication do not nearly impact on how someone receives the message as much as the verbal and visual aspects do of the message. This dramatically changed the use of my email after I learned this. Since then, I try to use email only to communicate for project updates, compliance issues where I need to create a paper trail, or in a case where it's an emergency and that, that might be the most effective way to communicate is through the email. I, I, I think of it like this. Think about the example, if your, your CEO or your leader wanted to positively congratulate you on some accomplishment, would you prefer them to email you, call you, or even better, visit you where you visually can see them? This is, to me, a big reason why I believe LIGO has been so transformative in our communications, because it enables the communication to include the verbal and visual aspect of the message. So, you know, with, with that, I'd like to pivot, Mark, to the idea that I mentioned in the intro. Um, I've met lots of sales managers. I've met lots of presidents in financial services and among our other verticals in med device and in high tech. Um, certainly advanced degrees are more common, I will tell you, among our medical device clientele, uh, many of whom are actual MDs in, in, you know, who are now have a commercial role as well. But among your peers in financial services, it's pretty rare. And I think there's probably several reasons for that. My question is, what caused you to decide to go get a doctorate degree when you were already an executive in the industry? That's a, that's a great question. Um, it really comes down to what I would call my insatiable thirst for knowledge. Some people may call this a sickness, but uh, <laughs> I, I view it more as being a lifelong learner that will never stop until I retire from the profession. Yep. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I believe it's critical to keep up on current changes in our industry that is ever evolving. And in the case of my doctorate in business uh, strategic leadership, it really helped me and play a pivotal role and allowing me, enabling me to be successfully navigate through the financial crisis in 2008 and 9. It also taught me how to be more innovative in supporting my team and strategic in setting our priorities. And lastly, I would say it added, uh, it allowed me to take up that topic you referenced earlier in my doctorate dissertation, which is how to more effectively engage the millennial generation in the workplace and uh, use that research um, into what we've now developed as our value add program. So ultimately, that was our hope, is we could translate it into practical application for our customers, our financial advisors. And uh, we have just rolled that out uh, last week and are proud to be able to deliver that as a new program. You've mentioned this new version of the content that your company's rolling out for benefit of advisors. Um, that, that's just happened. What's changed, if anything, in terms of how we utilize content in a post-pandemic era? Well, the post the pandemic has forced everyone, advisors and clients, to be more innovative than ever. The reality is that the need, though, for financial planning, legacy planning, have not gone away. In fact, the pandemic has driven home the imperative of planning for financial security. That said, we do have to adapt some of the ways we conduct business. For instance, face-to-face -face interactions have largely gave way to virtual meetings over the last year, and, and as you said, will likely continue uh, into the future. Uh, however, probably not to the extent that it has. Nonetheless, we have to find new ways though, to stay connected with clients and continue to provide them meaningful services and solutions they need. To that end, we have significantly increased our educational material and enlisted many of our partner firms to 
offer a platform of uh, speakers in areas such as advanced sales, regulatory changes, market updates, and again, value uh, add programs like I mentioned earlier with Millennial Minutes, generational reach, or planning for life's big moments. That's great. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear about that adaptability uh, in terms of recognizing the need that exists right now. Now, I just want to come to your own personal experience, Mark. I, I've had the good fortune of being able to work with you and your team and see the way that you've used video uh, for, for coaching, for sharing of best practices, to really leverage the capability of internal experts at your company to be able to share their ideas and even share those ideas with advisors. Uh, can you tell me about your experience using the power of video in terms of interactions with advisors specifically? Yeah, well, the, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is that Albert Morabian uh, research that I referenced earlier that proved, you know, over half of the impact of our communication comes from the visuals. Again, you know, our body language, our body movement, our facial expressions. So video has shown to have the great, greatest impact in our communication, which makes it more than just a nice to have, but an essential to doing business. You know, I'll tell you, Mark, um, we have a, another client that uh, in the course of a business review, this piece of information came up and it was almost like a, a little bit of a, oh, by the way, uh, one of their wholesalers, and this is on the asset management side of the business, sent out 700 short form emails uh, between him and his internal. This was over a course of about 30 days. Uh, some of them were to groups of more than one, but many of them were just individual emails. And when they, when they ran the report, what was remarkable was that 210 of the 700 people had in fact opened the video. And what he said to me in the course of this conversation is, you know, it occurred to him afterwards that there's been no other marketing they've done that had a 30% open rate. Nothing, that nothing else had 30%. And to be able to quantify and know that among the 700, there's over 200 of them who clicked the video, who obviously were interested in the topic that made it easier for them to start with their follow-up with that group. I think that's the kind of thing that we're seeing is just changing the dynamic going forward between distribution companies like yours and advisors. So that leads me to... Uh, the last question I want to ask you about, which is based on your experience, what do you see as the most important skill that people should learn or improve today in their, in their respective work? That's a great question, Mark. And, and I'll, I'll take this all the way back to my days. It's now a little bit over 20 years ago when I used to be a wholesaler and, and carry the bag, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of people can claim to have that experience, but what, what I really took away from that firsthand was the experience of how challenging it could be to balance our life priorities in, in the, this travel intensive roles that we play, whether you're in the field as a wholesaler, you're in sales management or some supportive role. And so when I first took over the role, uh, I was informed by an industry expert that the divorce rate amongst wholesalers was around 80%. That terrified me, given the background of coming from a dysfunctional family, which uh, really drove my deep desire to be a highly involved husband and father. And so to mitigate this issue, I took extraordinary steps to make sure I prioritized my family ahead of my work. Uh, 
However, you know, when you couple those two items with uh, very high priorities with, with, with the other things you have to work through in, in your work-life balance, it can be a very daunting task to manage. Uh, fortunately for me though, I came across a, an amazing program early in my career that taught me uh, a construct on how to view it. And it continues to remind me today on how to balance uh, our life priorities that we have and do it in a holistic way. So I developed an approach of evaluating life into uh, what I would call four buckets or quadrants. Uh, the first quadrant is work, which you know, requires you to ask yourself, do I need to invest in, in a degree, a designation, or a local organization that can enhance my expertise? The second quadrant is family, uh, which is you know, being a good spouse if you're married, being a good parent if you have kids. And the second of those is the most fragile, because if you don't meet these responsibilities as a parent, there's no one there that can pick up the pieces if you mess up. Your kids simply do not get the father or mother they need, and it can have a devastating effect on, on, that, on that individual. The third quadrant is community, which is really quite simply what you do for others outside of your family. And so for me, as you mentioned earlier, that's the Salvation Army. I get tremendous satisfaction from serving alongside them uh, in, in, in our community here, and I love their motto to help those in need without discrimination. The, first, the fourth quadrant that is probably the most complicated is the personal bucket. And that is really taking care of yourself physically, you know, through diet, exercise and sleep, mentally and spiritually. And ultimately this exercise of evaluating these four priorities in your life or four buckets as I described them is kind of like in, you know, managing your investment portfolio in that you know, it's, it's, if we simplify an investment portfolio to equities, fixed income, cash and alternatives, like we just talked about in your life, well, you know, they're never gonna be equally balanced 25% but we should also never put all our eggs in one basket. And so it probably makes sense uh, to look at this issue on a regular basis. I try to do it on a quarterly basis and I feel it's vital uh, to make sure I'm not missing anything. And uh, for that reason, I, I feel this is such an important item for myself that ever since I've been moved into a management role, sales management role, I bring this up at the end of my uh, sales meetings and I've been doing so for almost 20 years. That to me is probably the biggest lesson I've learned is how important it is not to let work become everything, but to allow those other aspects of your life, your family, your community, and your own personal development to receive uh, your time as well. Can I ask, what was the framework that you were originally exposed to that helped you organize that thinking? It was an organization called the Center for Creative Leadership in uh, North Carolina. And they had a program uh, that was devised to help professionals think about life more holistically, because I think that's probably the biggest challenge is how do I make sure I'm not uh, missing something or, or leaving something out of that? And I think uh, I would just say over the last 20 years I've been using it, um, I have found it to be pretty comprehensive, uh, those four quadrants. It pretty much captures everything I can think of and that served as a great tool to revisit individually. It's you know not my business to judge what anybody else does, but I do it personally and allow myself to reflect on it and then make changes accordingly. Well, Mark, that's really a terrific point for us to, uh, to end on. And I do wanna ask if uh, people wanna know more about the program, um, the millennials, how, how millennials engage in the workplace or the book, where's the best place for them to go to learn more? Well, the, the program itself is on our website. Uh, we have a value add programs uh, tab to our, to our distribution page. 
And uh, this particular program is called Millennial Minutes, uh, but all of our content is, is loaded on there as well. So anybody who access our website, there's no password required. And frankly, anybody can view it. Um, and if anybody wanted to connect with me personally, um, I'm a pretty private person, so you won't find me on social media, but I am on LinkedIn and I try to stay fairly active. So I know I, I view that uh, almost daily. If anybody ever wanted to touch base with me or connect with me, that's probably the best way to do it. That's fantastic. Most of our viewers, that's the, the coin of the realm, if you will. Uh, it's LinkedIn for this business-oriented audience. So, Mark, I just want to let you know I really appreciate this opportunity to connect with you. Uh, I know we've, we've known each other for, for many, many years, and I think that uh, what I've seen in terms of how you've helped your team adapt and, quite frankly, how you've led from the front during this pandemic is a big part of what these conversations are all about and why we call it the adapter's advantage. So thank you for your time and thanks for being part of it. Thank you, Mark, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapter's Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might wanna check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.